Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's interview, I'm speaking to Bruce Bird. Bruce has spent a great career, last 20 years or so, in AT&T, culminating in the Chief Legal Officer at AT&T. And he takes us through his journey. A couple of great insights that I really enjoyed in relation to what influenced his career. He talks about the importance of being able to receive and give feedback, which I think is fantastic advice. Other influencing factors, the importance of making an impact on others rather than thinking about yourself. And we've heard that theme a lot on this podcast. And also some sage advice from his mother too, one of my favourite bits. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy the discussion as much as I did. So sit back, chillax and enjoy the show. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, Bruce, the way I like to kick off the show sometimes is talk a little bit about your background, your journey. Now, you spent a bit of time, a few years at Dickinson Wright. In fact, you were a partner there in the late 90s, early 2000s. Then you had 20 years at AT&T. Your journey there in the last few years, of course, as the Chief Legal Officer. So I'm going to look forward to hearing about that. And then, of course, you've recently joined Palo Alto Networks, a cybersecurity company. So first question I'd like to kick off with, tell me the crossroads at your career and the influencing factors during those crossroads. Talk a little bit about that for the audience. Sure. So obviously I'm not a jumper. Yeah. I started, it was this month, earlier this month was 28 years that I've been practicing law. But in 28 years, I've only worked at three places and the third place has been for three months. So So you're a stayer. You're an absolute stayer. stayer. I'm a stayer. (laughs) But there were distinct, there was an impetus for me to go and make the jumps I did make, even though they didn't happen all the time. So the one theme that stretches across them is that I was not leaving a place when I left, meaning there was with neither Dickinson Wright nor AT&T, was there some flaw that I was trying to get away from? You do very well working at those places for your whole life. And frankly, if you had asked me six months before I left the firm and six months before I left AT&T, I might have said, I'll probably be here the rest of my career. Yep. But in the case of leaving private practice, it was I was approached with an opportunity to go to what was then SBC Communications, which was the precursor to AT&T. And I'll be honest with you, my first reaction is, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm a partner at a law firm. I'm a partner in this law firm, right? Earning big dollars. Why would I go? And for a while, I was, you know, this was a client of mine. Yep. So I was at a minimum talking to my client about potentially going to them. And so I was being very respectful of the process. But in my back of my mind, I thought, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And then after thinking and talking for two or three months, I can remember vividly staring in the mirror one night, yeah, struggling with this. And I had an epiphany. It was a very simplistic epiphany, but it was this. Yeah, I thought, what do I do for a living right now as a litigation partner at this big law firm? And it dawned on me that as awesome as that is many times, many, many days of the week, I'd pretty much be doing the same thing for about another 30 years. The decimal point might move every once in a while, But in terms of the rhythm of my day, the rhythm of my week, the activities I would be engaged in, it would be a little bit of wash, rinse, repeat. 
And that is the moment where I thought, well, wait a minute, or I could go to this, even then it was a pretty big company. It was a, about a $45 billion a year company. I could go to this big company where they're all over the place and I have no idea what I'll end up doing, but that was attractive to me. So Bruce, that was the year 2000. Okay, so it took you, let's say you, you were there, a partner for a couple of years there. So it took me 25 years to get to that point. <laughs> it only took you a couple of years. So you're, you're, you're well ahead. Yeah. So tell me then, move on to AT&T. So what was the company at that stage? SBC, right. We went on a continuing string of acquisitions. Yep. One of them was we purchased AT&T and then yep. took that name. Yep. So I was with this acquiring company and watched it go from a big, big telecommunications company to being one of the biggest companies in the world yep. over the course of my 20 years. And that was that you want to talk about a reason to stay yeah. a place for 20 years. That's a great reason to stay. I had jobs in five different cities. I worked in almost every area you could work in. And that is so really it was daily, weekly, annual validation of the reason I went in the first place. And there's no way you could, I mean, you could always predict a change and, and something different, but there's no way you would have predicted, presumably at that point, that come 20 or 17 years later, you would be the chief legal officer of at and 300 no. plus lawyers and a Fortune 10 company. No, I, I really, I didn't predict that. You know, I was thinking it was always something like I wanted to become a leader in the department because I wanted to have impact. Okay. Yeah. But the general counsels who I worked for in the first, you know, 15 years of the company, these were people who, you know, they were almost like mythical figures because I didn't have a lot of contact with them yeah. for a while. And therefore I was sort of like, well, I'm never going to have that job or a job like that. Yeah. And so as time went on, you know, I really was just mining my gold as much as I could on behalf of the company, just sticking to it, going from one opportunity that they gave me to another and doing the best I could. And then in 2014, I moved to Dallas to take a, you know, a more senior and even more senior position. And it was, that was really where I started engaging more directly with the general counsel. And then the current general counsel took the position in 2015. And he is, not only brilliant and an extraordinary lawyer, he and I are the same age and we got to become really good friends. And so it was really just another fun new evolution in my career to learn a bunch of things that the, about the company that I thought I knew everything about. Yep. There was a whole bunch of stuff I still didn't know. Yeah. And Bruce, what's the difference? What, why is it that you managed to get that kind of career progression, if you like, right to the most senior legal level at one of the world's largest organizations? Is it grit? Is it being open to opportunities? Is it a combination of your personal skills? What, you know, if you're trying to look back now and say, why was it that, that I had yeah. that successful career during at and what, what do you put it down to? Yeah, I would say that, look, on any dimension where you could say, what makes a great lawyer? I'm not the paragon. I'm not, you know, the smartest guy. I don't, you know, I'm sure there are people who work harder than I do. And the point is, there are brilliant people and smart people and people who are, you know, highly capable to do these jobs. And I wasn't special in that respect. However, if I had to identify what was a bit of a competitive or comparative advantage for me, it's this. 
I love and am highly responsive to feedback. I can't get enough of it, even though sometimes it hurts. Yeah. And I I got a lot of great feedback. And so I did the following things. I found people whose opinion mattered to me, but who were never going to hold back what they really thought. You've got to find people, not just people who are above you in the org chain, people who you work with, peers, people who work for you. You've got to find people who care enough about you to be honest, even when it's going to hurt. And then you have to return the favor. Yep. And I would say, I'm sure many other people do this, but I actively did it. And I have always encouraged people I work with who look for career advice to do the same thing. And I got some really good advice over the years that was sort of turning point advice for me. And I took it in and I did the best I could to adjust. And the thing about it is you don't just get better because you took somebody's smart advice, but when they see you try, when they see you make an effort, Yep. They say, that's a, okay, that's somebody that I'm going to invest some time in because he cares enough to try to get better. I love that. That's something that can be a comparative differentiator. And if I think back, well, to any career that I've had any impact on, and even in my own personal, and the feedback bit is really hard, but the better you get at that, the more open you are at that, the more you're able to let your guard down and and be truly receptive to some of those more difficult discussions. Yeah. And it comes back to personal growth for mine. If you're willing to put that time in, and I like the reciprocal nature of what you're talking about too, if you're willing to give that back to to others, that in itself, I imagine, and creates a, a significant kind of feedback loop of self-improvement. Well, not because it demonstrates to them that you're prepared to invest in them too. Yep. So when you look back, if, if you were to pick out a couple of highlights, let's say your time yeah. at AT&T, what are the standouts? What, 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 are you, what do you think back fondly of now and say they were yeah. either standouts or that's what really made an impact on me? Yeah. There are so, oh my gosh, so many. I mean, yeah. If I go back to private practice, what was great about that was I really got a taste for the thrill of being a lawyer because it was an introduction to, oh, wait a minute, this is what winning feels like as a lawyer, right? This is what delivering for a client feels like. And I really got that validating thrill. But at AT AT&T, there has certainly been plenty of that because we've had some great challenges over the over those 20 years. But at AT&T, I'd say it was this epic adventure. Yeah. You know, and if I had to pick out highlights, you know, it's hard to do. But my time in Washington, D.C., when I was lawyer lobbyist for the company, was probably the single most transformative part of my career. Even if you add in parts of my career where I had you know, better titles and more money. Yeah. And why is that? And what did you know about lobbying when you started there? Well, I had done regulatory work. Right. Both in private practice and the company. And of course, there's a political component to that. And so I had done it at the, we'll call it the state level. So I had some familiarity with it, but, you know, Washington, D.C. environment is the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, you don't even know what you don't know. And so I didn't know that much. And I made, I therefore made a whole bunch of mistakes the first mistake I made was I spoke when I should have listened. <laughs> and there was a, there's a lot of that going around in the world right now, but yeah. I learned that the hard way, but I learned it and it 
carry it's a lesson I learned ever since then. And I always give that advice to people. But once I got my feet underneath me, it was just as a general proposition, it was the perfect marriage of all of my skills that I had been developing up until that time. It was hard for me to no longer call myself a litigator, trial lawyer, lawyer type. That was hard. In fact, I remember having these heart to hearts with my wife where I would say, I, she'd introduce me to somebody and she'd say, he's a corporate lawyer at AT&T. And I'd say, stop right there. I'm a litigator. And she, later she'd say, you know, you're not really a litigator anymore. You should probably stop saying that about yourself. And I wonder too if that's a male thing, that the way we identify with what we do rather than kind of who we are. I'm a partner at X. That's right. Yeah, that's where it started with me. That's how I absolutely defined myself. And I'm hearing bits of that from you and I just I, yeah. I do wonder if that's who I am. I'm a litigator. I'm a corporal. I'm a partner at X. And I was so afraid of, of letting that identity go. Yep. But what was great about being in DC in that job was it turns out that just because you're not doing, you know, and you're not a litigation partner yep. at a firm doesn't mean yep. that all those things you learned go throw them in the garbage. All of that skill came to bear because yep. really lobbying is a form of litigation in a way, especially when you're lobbying over a particular piece of policy or a particular piece of legislation. All those litigation skills came to bear. The fact that I love to hang out with people and I'm a pretty decent negotiator and a pretty decent listener, especially when I'm in a negotiation, yep. all of those things came together. And at times it was frightening, but I, I got to rely on everything that I am. Every aspect of my personality, everything that I had learned, my education, my everything was taken, I had to use in that job. And then I got to meet so many cool people and work on things that mattered and that had an impact. And so that was really transformative for me. Anything that, again, sticking to your AT&T days, had your time again, you might do a little differently or you don't quite think you hit the mark. I always like to kind of balance, if you like, the good with that. I don't think I really nailed that one. If there's anything there that stands out for you. Oh, my. Yeah, they're tough ones. How long is this podcast? Because (laughs) that's a long road there. Uh, It's so long that it's almost like trying to select a restaurant in Manhattan. It's like, where to begin? Where to begin? (laughs) I would say that my biggest failure one of my biggest regrets, if you will, or the thing where I didn't hit the mark was I took too long to figure out the people side of being a leader yep. in a legal department. And I, I have so many examples of that, but I remember one of the great pieces of advice, a former general counsel of the company who I'll never be able to thank him enough for the, and he didn't always deliver them in the sweetest way, I might add, but I'll never be able to thank him enough because I know he... Uh, are we going to give him a shout out uh, on the podcast or not? What do you think? No, we're, we're... <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, not because I don't love him, or, but I just, I'll leave, I'll, yeah, I'll leave him. Sure. But he was such an, so instrumental in my growth as a lawyer and as a, as a manager and a leader. But he said to me one day, he goes, you know, I want you to take out an email that you sent me yesterday. And I took it out and I, he goes, let's, let's look at it together. And he goes, how many times do you put I in that email? And I, he said, count them. Oh, Let's count no. them. You yeah. counted them. Oh, no. <laughs> and he really said, look, you, 
let me explain to you what's wrong with that. Let me explain to you the power of that word. Yeah. And he pushed me to make my career less about me and more about something else. And so that is an example of where it took me a while to understand that like, this isn't all about me. This is actually about a whole bunch of other people who likewise have extraordinary career aspirations, who care about things, who are just as smart, if not smarter than I am. And so that I would say, if I had to do it over again, I would have woken up earlier mm-hmm. in my tenure at AT&T to understanding the people side of it. Because you lead people, you drive cattle. Yeah. And I think I was driving cattle for far too long. And you don't lead people by telling them some grand vision that you have, but rather by understanding what their vision is yep. and helping them get there. And it took me far too long to figure that out. I like that. I really like that. It's funny. I can think of a dozen examples myself where one of the books I read, which I thought, I wish this book was here 20 years ago, is Ryan Halliday, Ego is the Enemy. Mm -hmm. And he talks so much about how much we are driven by the eye because it is... But the empowering impact, if you can do it, and as early in your career as possible, the empowering impact of of basically elevating or suppressing that ego and empowering those around you and working out how to do that, what a power. What a bit of advice I would have loved 25 years ago. Yeah, I could have used it earlier, but I got (laughs) it. I did the best I could to adjust. I just, you know, I would say that, I am an ambitious person, but my big, my, one of my big flaws was that my ambition, instead of being my engine, was my vocation. Like that, yeah. my whole, like that was my job, was my yeah. ambition. And that's yeah. not your thing. Yeah. And so the only benefit is of having to have lived through that evolution in my personality or my trait as a lawyer was I can recognize it in people now. Yeah. And I'm able to sit them down and say, let me tell you what's going on with you right now. Yeah. And I imagine that's most people's journey. It takes a while to yeah. get there. And, and then kind of sounds a bit old worldly, but then being able to impart that kind of wisdom yeah. on the next generation that's coming through, I think there's a whole lot of value there. Okay, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, so moving then, you've joined recently Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what you're kind of looking for in this next phase of your career and what is it and what the kind of challenges that attracted you, I suppose, to the change and that you're, you're looking forward to over the course of the next few years? Well, I'd say that the biggest thing that is motivating me is that the company itself is, you know, on its extraordinary transformation and growth evolution. You know, the company's been around for, I can't remember, it's founded about 15, 18 years ago. It's been a public company now for almost a decade. And it is growing in leaps and bounds, but it's even despite the fact that it's already a pretty big company, it's going through its own evolution from one type of technology and way of servicing its customers and clients to another. And there are so many opportunities and challenges there, but one of them is this company is only going in one, it's getting bigger, its business is becoming more complex, its customer relationships are becoming even more sophisticated and intricate. And so it needs a legal department that is worthy of the company that it is and the company that it's becoming. And I am primarily attracted to the challenge of making sure 
that that's what the legal department is, that it has the scale and the resources, and that it's smartly organized, and that people have a mission, and that they have engagement. And so I think that that's the biggest, that was the biggest attraction yep. for me. Now, I have to say, the CEO of the company, Nikesh Arora, he's a, <laughs> he is a force, you know, from the very first time I talked to him, I was, you know, it was compelling, the idea of coming here to be his GC. And so that was a big part of it, too. Yeah. But especially now that I've gotten to, to meet the team and they're, they're so skilled and they care so much. I really am motivated by that evolution process. Anything you can share with us, let's say goals over the, in the first 12 months or so, what are you hoping to, you know, if you think about taking on your role, usually you're thinking about 90 days. Okay, what can I do in the first 90 days to make a bit of an impact? You've probably had your first 90 days there. What does the first 12 months look like, you think, in the department? What are the kind of priorities that you're going to look to focus on? I would say there's... There's a whole bunch of things I'd like to do, but if in terms of the department itself, I'd say there are three major things that I'm focused on. One is what I was just talking about, which is I'm kind of checking out the plumbing of the of the yep. group, the, of the organization. And our group also, my group also includes the government affairs and public policy team in Washington, D.C. So that's something else we're having fun with. So getting in and checking that plumbing and saying, where do we need to scale up? Where are we not optimally organized and where, what talent do we want to acquire, recruit? Yeah. I will just tell you right now that this is going to sound maybe kind of trite or cliche or, but we start with wanting to have the very best legal department in Silicon Valley. Let's start right yep. there. So whether that's 12 months from now or yep. not, but that's, that's the start, which is, and that doesn't mean in some bombastic egotistical way, but one of the with the best place, the most attractive place to work if you are a lawyer in Silicon Valley. We'll start there and then we'll go from yep. there. So that's kind of where I'm headed. So first thing is let's check the plumbing and make sure we're scaled and we attract talent and get great talent. Second, I want to understand the in, a, in as detailed a way as possible people's career aspirations. Where do you want to go? Not everybody can be promoted to general counsel. There's only one of those. So, you know, you can't all, we can't all become general counsel someday. What does career engagement and advancement look like to everybody here? And let's see if we can't design ways to give them that. Is that, is that more opportunity to do pro bono work? Is it you actually want to get, take a shot at some area of practice that you've never done before? How can I help you with that? Maybe we can give you a shot at that and get you some training. Third, diversity. I think that we as a department and we as a legal industry here in this part of the American economy, we have plenty of opportunity to enhance diversity and inclusion in this yep. corporate legal space. And, you know, I'll, I have to start here. It's a fairly diverse group, but I think that that is something where you've got to make it one of your top priorities and put time on task or it just becomes one of those nice things we'll do when we get to it. Yep. And that kind of kicks into a, another theme about building great teams around you. Never has there been a successful general counsel without a great team around them. And that goes for any kind of senior position. What do you look for, Bruce, when you're building that team or add it, look, looking to add, increase the gene pool? What are you looking for out there when building a great team? Well, I'd say that 
if I was picking like the top characteristics, I yep. you'll just assume right that it'll be you'll you'll want highly qualified people and yep. you know all of that. And of course, I have when I speak of diversity, I don't just mean a narrow concept. I like the diversity of opinions, diversity of experience, diversity of you know perspective. Yep. So that's always it. But beyond those critical threshold areas, I'd say curiosity. Are you still curious? Yeah. Because this is now the second technology company that I've worked at. And I got to tell you, if you, even as a lawyer, come to work at a technology company and you're not curious, you're wasting your time. Yeah. So you got to be willing to understand why we do things the way we do them. What's the technology? What's the drop? What are the financial drivers, et cetera? That's one thing. The second thing is client centricity. And now that can mean a lot of things, but it certainly means good client service. But the other thing it means is, and this is true, especially when somebody comes from outside as in a law firm is I always tell them, don't assume that your client development responsibilities ended because you left private practice. Yeah. Because I got news for you. If you come to a corporate legal department and you don't develop clients, your career is going to be stymied because not all work is created the same. Not all projects are strategic and you're going to have to develop client relationships just like you would as an outside lawyer in order to get it, your hands on some of that more strategic, impactful work. It's not a brand new formula. So yep. are you willing to be a client developer? And third, kindness. Yep. People who know me might say, did Bruce just say kindness? <laughs> Anybody who knows me who might listen to this someday, they go, huh, okay. I have a reputation for being a fairly intense person, but I am a kind person. And I think that kindness is not just, you know, sending flowers to somebody, you know, every, yeah. every day and, and being solicitous. Kindness in, you know, recognizing that somebody might be having a rough moment in their day, yeah. or their life, extending a hand, helping out. And just generally making sure that you're lowering the volume and giving people the space to yep. be at their best. Yeah. Because when they feel agitated or anxious or micromanaged, they're not going to be at their best. Yeah. I mean, you called it kindness. It's taking a genuine care and interest too, isn't it, in others. Yeah. And making sure in the workplace they have a psychologically safe place and that they actually feel valued and cared for and then somebody has their back. And we, we talk about that a lot within Pursuit. Does the team, do we have each other's backs? And what I'm hearing from you, that feels a little bit like uh, I've got your back and I'm genuine and caring about who you are, how you're going, how you're feeling, and whether you're you know, creating an environment that you can be your best at. Does that resonate? Absolutely. And you just made me think of something. Can I just tell you two quick vignettes oh, that relate to my mom? Sure. My sure. mom was not a business person. My dad was a business person. My mom was not. She was a homemaker her entire life once she and my dad got married, and she had six kids. And so you'd think you know, did you get your best business advice from your mom? I think I did. <laughs> because I was talking to my mom about a colleague who mattered to me one day, this is years and years ago. And she asked me out of the blue, she was curious about my job. She asked me, so uh, does he have any kids? I said, 
I don't know. You didn't know the answer. Yeah. She yeah. wasn't yeah. testing me, but she thought I would tell her because yeah. she was curious about my life. And I said, yeah. oh, mom, I don't actually know. And she said, you know, honey, <laughs> that's probably a piece of information you ought to know about somebody that you work with every day and who matters enough to you to tell your mother about. Like this person has such an impact on your daily life that you're telling me and you don't even know if this guy has kids. I love that. I have to tell Bruce. I love that. She really, I walked away from that conversation really feeling like crap. Yeah. But stuck with me. And she also told me, and the other thing I was say about my mother, this is what comes out of a mom's mouth when she has six kids. Yeah. If you want to be loved, you got to be lovable. Yeah. You know, like it does, it's, they're, they're, you're not, yeah. they're not going to love you because of an org chart. Yeah. The other thing you talked about right at the beginning too, the curiosity bit, again, it took me a while to kind of come to that realization too, but that attribute early in your career and having a genuine curiosity, I think can make such a I didn't place any weight on that, I think, earlier when I was recruiting. And I've just seen that become more and more important and understanding, particularly with an environment that changes very rapidly. And I think we're all in an environment which is changing really quickly. If you don't have or can't develop a genuine sense of curiosity about what's around you, the people around you, the work that you're doing, the why you're doing it, it can be hard to have a really fulfilling career and I think do really well. So I, I absolutely would call out that same attribute, that curiosity. I got lucky. I met a guy early on in my tenure at AT&T who was a more senior lawyer who was not a technologist, but he had mastered the technology. Yep. And I was in awe of him and I thought I want to be like him. And so I started finding engineers who would teach me about switching and broadband circuitry and things like that. Fantastic. I have, and we talked a bit about now, but uh, I've certainly read about you investing in people and time in local community mm-hmm. and getting legal departments too to, to do the same. Talk a little bit about that and why you think that's important and, and some yeah. initiatives that certainly have resonated with you in the past around that kind of investment. So going back a few months, I, I was on I was on four boards, uh, four nonprofit boards that really mattered to me. I was pretty involved in most of them, at least I thought I was making contribution. And and I was approached by one of them, hey, would you be the new chairman of our board? And I said, oh, no, that's, I can't do it. And I was just about to take this new job. And my life was what it was. And I already had all these other commitments, including to this organization. I said, I just, I hate to say no, guys, but I just, I can't do it. And so <laughs> the then current chairman, he kind of looks at me and says, yeah, I think you need to take it. <laughs> and I said, I don't think you're understanding. He goes, yeah, I think I understand. He goes, but I got to tell you, you know why you're going to take it? Because that's just what we do. That's just oh, what we do. Oh, I love that too, I got to say. But I'm busy. I've got things. I'm moving yeah. jobs. I've got a family. Da, da. And he goes, no, I think you're going to take it. <laughs> and I think it's because, and he's a lawyer, and it's not that because lawyer. I don't, just so you know, my perspective on this is not that lawyers have a special responsibility or that it's just like, oh, I'm giving back. You know, that, if that's what you're motivated by, I have no problem with it. But I think the reason that we just do it is because lawyers have now, over all the years of practice, we develop these skills 
where we almost can bend time, right? I mean, think how many times in your career you've had to bend the space-time continuum because you just had to get certain things done. We've become very good at that. And so our, our capacity to make this contribution almost demands that we do it. Do it. And our profession also makes us avail. We, we are able to take advantage of certain connections and capabilities in the community. That's just part of being a lawyer because of how we have to practice. So at some level, you got to find something you're passionate about and that's individual, but it's almost like the capacity and capability is what drives the command that we do it. Yep. And clearly, your former chairman could see that, yeah. and he knew you'd see that too. But it'll just oh like, yeah, he, <laughs> yep. He told me later. He said, "I knew you were going to do. It. <laughs> you just needed a minute. You just needed a minute." Yep. But you know, speaking of like a legal department, to me, that's just an aggregated extension of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. Everybody's got to find their own thing. Individual lawyers, and then the legal departments in general. I just think it's. It's more about making a whole life. What's your whole life? This is, yeah. for me, part of making a whole life. Yeah. Tell me, Bruce, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection is time not well spent? Well, I made, you know, I, I referenced my mom. I her- inherited some pretty good traits from her because she was a wonderful human being, but she was a worrier and I kind of inherited that. Yeah. So. Generally speaking, I'm a little bit of a, a worrier about stupid things. But to answer your question directly, I'd say money. Yeah. I have never wor- I have never had a problem paying my bills since the day I was born. Okay? At no yeah. point in my entire life has this been a problem. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet. How much time have you spent worrying about it? How much time have <laughs> I spent? And so my advice to myself to this day but certainly to anybody who of any age of any just stop worrying about it yeah now that sounds awfully i mean if you really have a money issue well you got to worry about but i'm saying for lawyers we're talking about lawyers who maybe have attained a whatever status to their career including at the beginning just don't worry about it so much you know i believe in people pursuing a career that allows them to take care of themselves but you know i've made a good living but there's always somebody who makes more money. So if you get on that hamster wheel, you are destined for unhappiness. So yeah. my, my advice to myself would be stop thinking, stop thinking about it. Yeah, it's funny. Typically, if you've got a career in law, then economic security certainly isn't the challenge that it might be in other vocations or other parts of life but for and i don't know whether it's the competitive nature or i don't know whether it's just human nature the time and energy spent on thinking about financial security money where in fact it's not you're not on the poverty line or as you say you've never had a problem paying a bill it is an extraordinary amount of time and energy we all spend this might be a slightly more productive way to make this point because i'm sure there are people out there who like thinking i do have you know, I do have to worry about money. I would say yeah. it maybe like this. Yeah. I assume that someday one of, or both of my two children would come to me and talk about being a lawyer. Yeah. And so I wanted to do well if they did. And so I prepared because lawyers were good. At, we prepare. Yeah. And I prepared this whole speech. And just so you know, they never asked. Yeah. They're completely uninterested. But here's what I would have said had they asked. I would have said, it's a fine profession. 
it's an important profession. It makes a difference, even if you're doing what I do, it makes a real difference in the way the world turns and the economy functions, and it can make a real difference in the lives of people. But, oh, and by the way, I would have said, you can make a fine living doing it. Yep. But you will work harder for that particular living than a lot of people work for a lot more money. Yep. And so I would have told them, if you are going into this profession for the money, you're making a huge mistake. Pick something else. Do yeah. something else. Bruce, tell me, I often ask the question, but I think you've answered that one again. What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Yeah. I, think you, I think you've nailed that one. Yeah. Looking back, what, what are you most proud of, both professionally and personally? Well, professionally, I'd say, you know, it was that there are some people whose careers I made a difference in. And I, don't, I wouldn't want to overstate that because ultimately they made the difference. Yeah. But to the extent I could give them a little bit of a nudge here, an opportunity here, maybe open the way for a promotion there. I would say that when I look back on that, that's probably the more enduring impact that, that I've had than any particular case or matter or policy objective that we attained. Well, that, i got to tell you, that is a common theme on this. When I ask that question, I never get a me or an I. I always get a here's the impact I think I or hope I made on someone else. And again, I think that's a great lesson for all of us or for, for those who maybe are a bit younger. When you're looking back, it doesn't end up being the this is what I did or this is the case that I won. It is always yep. end up about here are the people that I helped or right. I influenced. To the extent, you know, somebody says, oh, I want to, the, the good news is if you put that as one of your goals. Yep. It's going to help your own career Yep. because you're going to learn a whole bunch of things about yourself and how to be a better lawyer. So it's really a zero, it's a zero risk proposition is making that investment. And then personally, that's easy. That's easy. My marriage. Yep. My wife, I said to Nikesh, my new boss, as of three months ago, he was asking me about her and I said, well, you know, she's, she was, she's a lawyer. She doesn't practice any longer. And I was telling him a little bit about her and he got quiet and I said, let me guess, right now you're thinking you may have hired the wrong bird. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, I like that. And, and, and he kind of laughed and said, well, maybe a little, uh, so she's a, she's a far more accomplished and impressive person than I am, but she is also just, you know, it's one of those things where it's not so much that we have different personalities. It's just that if we don't freak out at the same time over the same thing, yeah, I like that. Good, so yeah, that's right. Freaking out separately. Yeah, right. I yeah, mean, yeah, I like exactly. that. Exactly. We're not going to both get pissed yeah. off at that landscaping problem. Yeah, fantastic. On a more personal note, too, what do you do, Bruce, just to keep busy outside of law or yeah. business? Any hobbies? A a anything yeah. that you I probably don't have enough hobbies. My, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 12 year old son, so I do try to make a lot of time for them when I'm there. I, I'm with them. My daughter is learning how to drive, and I'm her primary amateur trainer when yep. she's not taking formal classes. So that's a little hobby right now. And I'm a little bit of a cliche in that four years ago, I took up golf. And boy, that's I'm horrifyingly yeah. bad at that. But I have gotten some fun out of that because I, every once in a while, I get to hang out with a friend, as I did last Sunday for a few hours, and somebody I hadn't seen in a while. 
So I'm, I'm trying to do that, but I actually did it not for any professional reason, as we all sometimes yeah. do. I did it because I took up tennis and golf a few years ago because I figured those are things that my wife and I can play together into our 70s. Yep. And I wanted to be able to do that. A couple of things I'll call out there. I, I, I like that. Invest, continuing to invest now for the longer term relationship. Yeah. Love that. And one call out I'll give in relation to your daughter and the uh, driving lessons. One thing I did, which is an absolute hoot with certainly two of my three kids, a road trip. A road trip to get the hours oh. up and they, you know, three or four days away with one, one child, one-on-one time, an absolute delight. And something I'm going to take that, that. Do that. Do the road trip with, with each of your kids because they don't forget it. And as I said, three or four days away, one-on-one, clock the hours up. Yeah, right. Get some one-on-one quality time together. That's a great idea. I'm going to do that. I'm do that. Well, Bruce, fantastic. Thanks very much for joining us. It's been a fantastic time. Enjoyed the discussion and absolutely enjoyed your insights. So, Well, this was the highlight of my week. I really appreciate it. Fantastic, Bruce. Thanks very much. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me. Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.